Welcome to the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast, where we interview the world's leading CEOs, business executives, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and authors. Our mission is to learn the strategies and tactics that have helped our guests succeed in business and life and share those lessons with you so that you can become the Bulletproof Entrepreneur. My name is Chia Dogu and I'm the co-founder and COO of Odogu Media Group. Odogu Media Group is a podcast marketing and new media agency that helps corporations create and amplify their story via high-quality branded audio content that builds a community of highly engaged fans who are their ideal clients for their premium products and services. And now, without further ado, on with the show. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. If you want to learn how to grow your sales using Gorilla B2B sales strategies, then you will definitely want to check out this summit. 10 world-class entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and sales and marketing professionals are going to share their best-kept secrets on how to grow your sales in the B2B space. You'll learn things like how to leverage your skills, how to apply LinkedIn to get non-stop leads, how to prospect and win, how to be a go-giver so that you can get more clients by actually serving them first, and of course, the art of closing the deal with your prospects and clients so that they'll feel like they're doing business with their long-lost friend. I have speakers coming from the likes of Dan Locke, Bob Berg, Paul Brody, Kimanzi Constable, Josh Elledge, Dr. Cindy McGovern, Tyle Roxon, Monique Russell, and Karen Yankovic. They'll be sharing their best-kept secrets on how you can succeed and win in your B2B sales goals in 2020. The summit starts November the 18th and 19th and will feature 30-minute actionable keynote addresses to equip you with all the tools and strategies you need to succeed. If you want to sign up, go to www.b2bsamas.com or www.b2bsalesmasterysummit.com to sign up for the B2B Sales Mastery Summit. I can't wait to see you there. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast. My special keynote speaker on the show today is Elise Keith. Elise is the co-founder and CEO of Lucid Meetings. She's the author of Where the Action Is, the meetings that make or break your organization. She's also an Inc. columnist. Her column is titled The Meeting Maven, where she regularly contributes and helps organizations uh, deal with and strategize on how to make the organizations more effective by crafting and strategically planning their meetings. She's been seen in BBC, Sherm Magazine, Industry Week, and the Savvy Dentist podcast. I'm pleased to have her on the show today to tell us a little bit about her entrepreneurial journey and her new book, Where the Action Is, The Meetings That Make or Break Your Organization. So with that said, Elise, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, Elise. So Elise, um, your path towards entrepreneurship is a little unusual. I see your uh, LinkedIn bio right here in front of me. You were a former product manager, and then you studied theater in Lewis and Clark College. So how did you find yourself now becoming the meeting maven and working with organizations to help them make better meeting? Well, I just got lucky, I guess, huh? <laughs> that, isn't that just what every uh, aspiring actress wants to be? You know, I mean, we're going to I'm going for the theater, but someday I might be a meeting maven instead. <laughs> um, so actually, I did. I felt like I really did get very lucky mm. because um 
while my meeting Maven thing didn't, or my acting thing didn't turn out to result in enough food Mm. (laughs) on a regular basis Mm. for that to be a career, um, it did prompt me to join the business world. Okay. And when I got into the business world, I found the place where all of the, you know, as my book says, where all the action is, right? Where Mm. are they making the decisions? Where, where's the conflict? Where's the, um, excitement? Where are people coming together to create something that's kind of cooler and bigger than they are? And that was all happening in meetings. Mm. And then when I started really looking at meetings, um, I found that when they were designed well, when you understood what you were trying to accomplish going in and you understood the tips and techniques that got a whole group of people around you to, to buy into what you're trying to do and, and do it with you, that's, it's like a superpower. Hmm. So having that superpower and helping other people connect with that superpower is just, it's just a wonderful, exciting, sort of rich opportunity to play with. Oh, okay. Now, did, okay, so let me organize my thoughts. Was <laughs> it as a result of your training in theater and acting? Because I know if you're an actor or you work on the stage or something, you know, you have a script, you have places, you have to memorize your lines and everything. So was some of that knowledge that you learned while training in that particular skill set unconsciously transferred into meetings because you maybe consciously or unconsciously saw that you could actually structure these the same way you could structure like a stage play, for example? You know, I hadn't thought of it that way before. Until like just now, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but absolutely. Right. So, um, when you look at the underlying structure of mm-hmm. every effective meeting, and I don't care whether you're doing a sales meeting or you're meeting with your team or you're meeting with your accountant, like they all have the same basic underlying arc yeah. and it's not, it's not that different from, um, Freytag's, uh, plot line. So Mm -hmm. like the same kind of path that you take for writing a good story. Yeah. Uh, You know, you've got this, you got the setup where everybody comes together and you meet the players and you figure out what you're trying to do there. And then you work through all the action and there's some climax where everybody goes, okay, we've Mm -hmm. made our decision or whatever it is. And then you kind of have the denouement where you, the the ending where everybody wraps it up and you write your action items down and out you go. So so you're right, that, say, that ability to look at the interaction of people as, um, as, uh, as a key way that, that you move the action forward is true for theater and it's true for meetings. Um, you know, one of the other things that I just love is that if you watch and pay attention now, because now that you know to watch this, you can't unsee it. You're going to mm-hmm. see it everywhere. Mm-hmm. When you when you watch TV and when you watch movies, you will notice that a lot of the story is told by watching meetings. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And Game of Thrones, it's all meetings. Yes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, meetings and nudity. And that's yeah. pretty much that whole show, Some Dragons. You know? Yeah. Because, <laughs> that's it. Because when I read the book, you mentioned something about Star Trek and um, – I think Captain Picard and almost in every episode, they're all in the conference room having a meeting. And I just thought, you know what? I just started watching um, How I Met Your Mother, the TV show. And basically every episode is they're meeting in a bar. They're, the uh-huh. drinks are literally just props, but they're just meeting in the bar talking about the 
the things that are going to unfold in the episode in that meeting. Right. Right. Like if they were a work team, we would call that a team cadence meeting. It's mm. basically their their weekly team check-in Okay. <laughs> at the bar, right? Because yeah. like, that's that's how they stay connected as, you know, a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, West, West Wing, like pretty much all the shows are yeah. just a series of meetings, like Walking Dead. You know, how are we going to fight the zombies? That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So that's... That's what's happening in the real world as well. So if you will look at the news or if you read, um, you know, entrepreneurial guides or business books, there are all of the how to's when you look at, they'll say things like, hey, you've got to have your North Star or you've got to be innovative or they'll use these words that sound really good. But what the heck does that mean in practice? Mm -hmm. And what the heck it means in practice most of the time is that you run a really good meeting. Mm. But why is it so boring in the workplace versus on screen and on TV? Because you know that every single person, when I worked in consulting, I dreaded having meetings because I knew it was just like a big time suck. When I worked in nonprofit, the same thing. And you know what? It's, okay, let's let's talk about this first and we'll talk to the next step. Okay, so um, they're often boring for two reasons. One, while... There are tons of meetings and we need the meetings to make the stuff go. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the people running those meetings have no training of any kind in how to do that. Yes. Right. Yeah. So you, you, it's not, it's, it's like taking my teenage kids and saying, Hey guys, I need you to put on Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, uh, a, a huge meal for the whole family. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's not something you just wake up one day and know how to do, even though you may have attended many, many family dinners, mm-hmm. planning one, making the menu, getting the stuff, getting it all done in time, you know, having the ambiance, all of that is a, something, a skill you have to learn and develop. Mm. And the way we work in our organizations is people are like, well, you've attended meetings, so therefore you know what it is, go. Yeah. You know, like I play with Hot Wheels, that doesn't make me a... <laughs> a car designer. Mm. Like these are not the same thing. So, so that's the first reason. The first reason is, um, people lack the education to be able to design and run really good meetings. And the second reason is that, um, we have this problem where we have these competing desires. Like on the one hand, uh, we want to run a really effective meeting and get things done. And on the other hand, we don't want to leave anybody out. Mm-hmm. So we invite everybody. Yeah. Which means you end up showing up to meetings that you have nothing to do at. And if you have nothing to do, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, you're, you're the random red shirt in the back of the scene who has no, <laughs> no chance of doing anything when, when, when what's going on. So of course that's boring. Mm. Yeah. Now in your book, you now propose that, you know what? If you're a manager, you're a team leader, a director or whatever, you should now schedule every meeting to be optional for all the members. And I find that to be a little difficult to swallow because I know I've been in meetings where, like you just said now, everybody is in the meeting, whether you're a contributor or not. But when you say all meetings are optional, aren't you going to get resistance internally in the organization if you find out, okay, every meeting is optional. Well, I'm not going to come if I don't need to come. Or something like that. Yeah. So you have to, so there's, there are two, two parts to that part. So first of all, absolutely. You will get resistance in the organization. Um, and, and you get it from both sides, right? Mm-hmm. You get it from the people, people leading the meetings who are like, oh my gosh, nobody will come to my boring meeting. Mm-hmm. 
And the thing is, nobody should go to your boring meeting. <laughs> you know, if you're going to use their time, because that's expensive time, that should not be a boring meeting. Mm-hmm. So, that, so that's one reason you put that rule in. And the other reason you put the rule in is um, to combat the whiners. You know, oh, I can't get anything done because I have to go to all these waste of time meetings. And mm. you say, well, you know what? No, you don't. Actually, if you have other key important things to do, use your time smartly because you're an adult. So those two dynamics, they're really uncomfortable because they um, they make it so that when you look at meetings, you have to be responsible adults in terms of determining whether that's a good use of time and making sure it's a good use of time. Mm. And if in organizations where they do that, um, it's incredibly empowering mm. because the leaders learn to write, run better meetings. And then, you know, while people say they don't want to go to wait meetings that waste their time and they would opt out and whatnot, in reality, they tend not to. We tend to feel worse when we're not invited. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> fear, of, fear of missing out. Exactly. Exactly. So if you run a good meeting, right, like say you're going to say, OK, on Friday afternoon at three o'clock, we're going to decide on our strategy for the next quarter. You don't have to come if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, you're like who who opts out of that room? Yeah. Um, and the people who do opt out of the room, the people who continually fail to show up um, trigger the second part of it. And the second part of it is that meeting performance is job performance. So if you're not showing up and contributing in a meaningful way in those meetings, you aren't contributing to your team. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot more obvious when we don't have a have a rule in place that makes people sit there and waste their time. Right. If the rule is, no, if you show up, you're doing good work together. Then you've got something you can work with. Mm. So it is it, it is a controversial. It's a bold strategy, but yeah. it but it works. Yeah. Okay, so now we're speaking more towards entrepreneurs and we've talked about organizations. So as an entrepreneur, maybe starting a startup or you have your small and growing business, for example, and take, for example, you transition from, let's say, a nonprofit organization or a Fortune 500 where you were used to setting meetings and all that. But as an entrepreneur, you wear many hats. You just don't have the time in the day to to do as many meetings to get things before you can get things done. So how does one as an entrepreneur set effective and efficient meetings that still hit all the marks, but also gives them time to do all the other things they need to do? So I think one of the the key challenges for people leave, especially if you're leaving a big organization, um, is to you know, big organizations have this problem where they just run lots and lots and lots of meetings and yeah. they're all kind of, they all kind of blur together. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is, which is wasteful in big organizations, but it's, um, it's deadly yeah. in a, in a small organization. You just can't afford to do that. Now, whether you're small or large, but especially if you're small, the real first thing you have to do is you have to change your understanding and your relationship to meetings and understand that there are 16 distinct types of meetings and their tools. So instead of thinking about meetings in general, I don't want to be in too many meetings, blah, blah, blah. What you need to think about is which kind of meetings do I need to be having right now to help me achieve my business goals? 
So for example, the very, very first stages of entrepreneurship, that might be I'm doing um, interviews with investors, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm doing sales calls. Yeah. Right. Those yeah. are not a waste. Those are not a waste of your time. <laughs> those are, and you want to get really specific and really good about how to run those meetings. Right. Mm. And then as your needs and your team grow, every time you add a meeting to your uh, way of working, you give it the same kind of attention. Every single one of those meetings is a tool that you're using to achieve a goal. So one of those tools might be, here's how I keep my team together mm -hmm. <laughs> and aligned, you know, and there's a very specific meeting you run to do that, that achieves that goal. So looking at those as, as designed tools that get you what you want is absolutely the first step. Okay. So now let's dive into this a little bit deeper. Now you said, okay, if you're an entrepreneur, the two things that are important, meeting with investors, meeting with salespeople. Now for any business to start, you need to kind of start making sales before you even talk to the investors. So what are some ways entrepreneurs can design a better meeting system to either get meetings with people that could buy their stuff or, you know what, make it so enjoyable that people are wanting to come and attend the next sales call from this person that is knocking on their door? So there are some, there's a, there are a series of meetings that you want to have when you're talking to new uh, prospective clients. It's yeah. what we call um, a meeting flow model. Like, you know, okay. this conversation happens first and then this one, and then this one, you know, and generally that first one is um, sort of a, a red velvet rope. It's the bit where you decide if you want to ever be friends again, mm. <laughs> right? Because some customers are not good customers for you. Like the first yeah. date. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Right. So what are the qualities that are important for a first date? Well, first you show up and you're enjoyable, mm -hmm. right? And that's an important thing for you to do for every meeting, but it's especially important on the first date meetings. Like how do you say hi and feel like somebody that they, you know, they may not remember what they, what you say, but they remember how you made them feel. Is mm -hmm. that my uh, Angelou who says that? Yeah. It's completely true in this, in this case. So um, be pleasant, be warm, express interest in them as people to begin with. Absolutely. Second bit in that first, first meeting is while you want to ask the questions you want, you want to tell them how great you are. Um, our research shows that if they talk more, they'll think it's a better experience. <laughs> so, mm. So getting them to speak more is actually more important than, than making sure you cover all your points. And then finally, and this is important for every meeting, but it's especially important for these tentative meetings where you decide, yes, in fact, I do want to date this customer, is to make sure you've taken, written down any decisions you've made and any next steps, and then you immediately send that out to them in writing after the meeting with your thank yous. Mm. Because that tells them that when they met with you, some, they got something out of it. It wasn't a waste of their time. They got a tangible result, and you're going to do work on their behalf to make this relationship go. Okay. So, you know, th and those things are critical for pretty much every meeting, right? Treating people as people, mm -hmm. letting everybody participate, and making sure you get a result at the end. Um, but the number of entrepreneurs who fail to execute those three steps with sales calls is just shocking. It's mm. almost as if you don't want the business. Mm. Interesting. 
Good to know. Now, what's the role of technology in meetings? Because some meetings you have, you know, dead by PowerPoint, you know, you have to present all the time. Some, you know, people come in with their phones or their laptop and they're doing something else or they pretend like they're taking notes. But it seems like <laughs> it might be distracting other people just having the laptop open versus everybody sitting down with pen and paper, writing down stuff and uh, making the meeting flow. So, how can we manage technology in meetings so that we don't get bogged down and have uh, bad, boring meetings? So here's the key to technology in meetings. I mean, there are all kinds of technologies that apply to meetings. There are like over 200 companies that build technology for meetings. And which technology you should use, whether you should use technology, depends 100% on the kind of meeting you're having. Okay. Right. So if you're doing an on, if you're doing a brainstorming session and your team is the people you're brainstorming with are all over the world, then you're going to use online brainstorming software, right? That's mm -hmm. just, it's just a no brainer. Mm -hmm. um, if you're sitting in a room with a group that's trying to brainstorm, you should use sticky notes. It's completely different technology. Um, but in either case, whether you're bringing in an a online tool or you're bringing in a physical tool or whatnot, the real key is that people can use it and are using it to create the result. So you shouldn't have any technology in your room that isn't being used in the meeting. Mm. So if you know, if you have somebody with a laptop, then what they're doing with that laptop is they're, you know, researching things you're talking about. They're following along with the agenda and they're taking notes. Okay. Right? Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, leave it outside. That's almost impossible to do in a remote meeting. Mm -hmm. So rather than worrying about technology, the real, um, the real question should be, how can I get everybody so actively involved that they don't have time to be also multitasking on something else? Sure. Right? Yeah. Uh. And one of my favorite articles that you wrote on Inc.com was uh, five office snacks you can bring to meetings to, <laughs> to, to help you stay focused. So let, let, let's talk a little bit more about these snacks because I was reading a few of them. I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I was reading a few oh, of them please. and I was like, please okay, chocolate. Steal my snack thunder. <laughs> dark chocolate, you said tea, coffee, super cold water vegetables, you know, uh, quiet fruit and nuts. So what, what does food play in meetings? What's the role of food in meetings? Well, um, so, so what's going on in meetings is that we're bringing a group of people together, right? And we're asking them to help solve a problem or make work go, right, as mm -hmm. a team. And, and we're asking them basically to set aside, you know, whatever it is that they individually are caring about. Like, I just got a call from my daughter's school and she might have a fever and, you know, like I have to set that aside and I have to be here. Mm. So one of the things um, that food does is it taps into our, our deep ancient human rituals that say, when you come into this space, you are offered food as a um, gesture of caring and community and connection and mm. safety, right? Like, like they're culturally, you know, all kinds of cultures have this thing that once you walk into somebody's house, they offer you something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, it's respect and it's care. So, so that's a role that food can play in a meeting. 
right? I've, I've brought snacks because I have respect and I care for everybody who's here and I appreciate your time invested. Um, the other thing it does is it gives your hands and your mouth something to do if you're bored that isn't, <laughs> that isn't multitasking. Like, I think I'll just have another green bean, you know, mm. is, uh, <laughs> and it helps you keep your energy up. And that's a big one. Mm. You know, we're meant, especially as a meeting gets intense or long, you know, having a way for people to keep their energy up and stay present uh, is important. Yeah. Oh, good to know. Good to know. So as we start to wind out the show, Elise, I have a couple wrapping up questions for you. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, this show is listened to primarily by entrepreneurs, but also people that are in the early stages of their careers. Uh, let's call them analysts or associates in large organizations. Now, for those people who typically do not have um, a strong voice in the organizations. Take, for example, when a meeting is set by a manager and they just have to attend, you know, how can uh -huh. they um, help move the meeting along or make it an even pleasurable experience for everyone in the meeting, given the fact that they're supposed to attend and they have no voice, whether they can come optionally or not? So the first thing you can do, if that's your role, is you can, you can educate yourself. Right. Especially if you have live, work in a culture where there isn't a lot of meeting expertise, mm. um, there's a real opportunity to shine in advance. If you can be known as the person who can walk into a meeting and and help make it productive. OK. Right. Like that's that's a power position. Okay. Um, so if you're inter interested in helping that way, get some education. Mm. Um and then the first way to start educating, both educating yourself and making a difference is to take responsibility, volunteer, and take the notes. Okay. And what you do when you take notes is you're writing down any decisions the group is making, um, any key points, and any action items. And this gives you, because you're responsible for taking the notes, right? You're not taking charge or anything. You're just taking notes. Mm -hmm. This gives you the permission to start asking the important questions that otherwise aren't getting asked. Mm. Like, hey there, guys, I thought we made a decision. I want to write it down real quick. Did we just decide X, Y, Z? Yeah. By you asking that question out loud, that group may have otherwise just buzzed past that. And two weeks later, nobody would have known what the decision was and they all would have thought it was different, right? You get to make, by taking that, taking that, volunteering that role, you get to all of a sudden ask the questions that make the results real. Mm. You know, or, you know, I'm going to write down this action item, but I didn't hear from Fred whether that was actually what he planned to do. Fred, was that what you said? Like you can ask these questions, right? That give other people voice too. Okay. So... So that's, a, that's where I would start. Okay. And on the other side, for organizations that are mired in the meeting culture and they need to start getting better habits and start um, improving or optimizing their meetings, what are some steps they can take to start um, improving their meeting culture so it's not uh, just death by uh, multiple meetings every single day? You know, the, the, there are a lot of things people try, like they go through and they cancel all their meetings and just wait to see which ones come back. Or they, they put up some simplistic rules like, you know, every meeting will be 30 minutes or something like that. Mm -hmm. And none of that stuff is particularly effective, yep. unfortunately. It yep. just, it fails. Um, so in our business, we have a couple of different um, 
things that people can get access to that are that are useful that way. Uh, one is we did did the research on what the actual practices are in high performing organizations, so the places where they meet really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a free online survey where you can go and um, see how your organization's practices line up with the best of the best and mm. what level you're operating at. And then if you find that you, you everything your organization is doing is like, like you have none of the good practices, <laughs> you're at a level like negative one, then you work to create level one practices. Okay. You know, you just... You just, you put them in step by step. So all of that's laid out um, on our website. Okay. I'll be sure to link to your website in the show notes, but my curiosity just got the better of me. So which organizations are typically high-performing organizations that have excellent meeting cultures? So the, um, a lot of the organizations that have really excellent meeting cultures um, are mid-sized, Okay. Um, the, the really, really huge ones tend to have decent meeting cultures, but not truly excellent meeting cultures. Um, and they have, um, so like Zingerman's community of business is one of the case studies I write about in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a very specific way. They run all of their meetings. Um, they have every single manager gets training in how to run effective meetings. Mm. Um, and this is, by the way, this is a food-based business. So they run um, a deli, and they run a roadhouse, and a chocolate shop, and like a mail-order candies place, mm. right? So these are, and the people who come to work for them are like sometimes still in high school, and sometimes still, you know, working their way through all kinds of things. And every single person in that whole organization knows how to run the meeting, how to participate in the meeting, and they all take turns, Right. So, yeah. so, so one day the meeting might be, might be run by the, the lady who's the hostess or the, or the server. And, um, they are, they are truly amazing in the way that they make that performance, um, include everyone and, and help drive really great, uh, economic performance as well. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Good to know. Good to know. So with that said, Elise, we've reached the end of the show. I want to thank you for coming to share your story and to teach us how to create and run effective meetings. But before I let you go, where can people find you, get to know more about you, and also grab a copy of your book? You can learn more about my company, and there's a million resources on that on our website, um, like explicit how to run different kinds of meetings, which are you know, especially useful if you're just starting out at lucidmeetings.com mm-hmm. and then you can find information more information about me and my writing and the book at jelisekeith.com awesome and i'll be sure to put that on the show notes once this episode is ready to go live so thanks a lot for coming to share your story Elise. i truly appreciate you, t- you taking the time to do this today Thank you. It's been fun. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the show today. If you love what you hear on today's episode of the podcast, go to iTunes and leave a review and a comment. It helps other great listeners like yourself find the show. And of course, you can always find more episodes of the Bulletproof Entrepreneur Podcast at www.odogwu.com.